Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling's Potterheads, a history all about the Deathly Hollows. I'm Katie, my co-host is Ellen, and we have a special guest this episode. Today, we're joined by our patron, Max Nash. As the winner of our special trivia episode, Max is no stranger to guest hosting. But this one is special since he got to choose the topic for it. He's a hardcore Slytherin and Deathly Hallows, the things, not the books, zealot, which is how it ended up our topic for this episode. He's our resident Brit and a classical musician who just graduated from university, an intense gamer with a passion but no real talent for cooking, and a bit of a materialistic bitch. His words, not mine. His favorite character from Harry Potter is Barty Crouch Jr., and his favorite thing to do is to put Goblet of Fire on the telly, make a chili con carne, and make notes in his books about the little things he loves and hates. Thank you so much for joining us, Max. That's all right. Thanks, guys, for having me. I can't wait to get started on this one. Because Max is an Order of Merlin first-class patron, for this episode, he calls the shots. Since he's obsessed with the Deathly Hollows, that's what we'll discuss. First, we're going to summarize the tale of the three brothers, and then give some background on the three Hallows. Then Max will share his theories about the Deathly Hallows, and we'll discuss them. This is going to be a really fun one. (laughs) I'm excited for this. So we'll start off with the tale of the three brothers. It tells the story of three brothers traveling along a winding road at twilight. They reached a river they couldn't wade or swim across, but were able to use magic to make a bridge appear. The brothers began to cross on the bridge and find their path blocked by death, who was used to collecting new victims that drowned in the river. Being cunning, death pretended to congratulate them on their magic and offered them each a prize. The oldest brother asked for a powerful wand that would always win duels. Death used a branch from a nearby elder tree and fashioned a wand for the oldest brother. The second brother was arrogant and asked for the ability to bring others back from death, who picked up a stone from the riverbank and gave it to the middle brother, telling him it would have the power to bring back the dead. The third brother was humble and wise and simply asked for a way to go forward without being followed by death, who reluctantly handed over his own cloak of invisibility to the youngest brother. Then death let them pass, and the three brothers continued their journey, talking about their adventures, before eventually going their separate ways. The first brother sought out a wizard that he had had a grudge with and challenged him to a duel. With the elder wand, he left his enemy dead and then proceeded to an inn, where he loudly bragged about his invincibility because of the unbeatable wand he got from death. That night, another wizard snuck up on him as he slept, took his wand, and slit the oldest brother's throat. Death took the oldest brother for his own. The second brother returned home, took out the stone to recall the dead, and turned it three times. The girl he had hoped to marry before her untimely death appeared. But she was silent, cold, and separate. She had not truly returned, and the middle brother was driven mad with longing and killed himself to join her. Death took the second brother for his own. But Death searched and searched for the third brother and was never able to find him. It wasn't until the youngest brother reached an old age that he took off the cloak of invisibility and gave it to his son. He then greeted death as an old friend and went with him as his equal. As we learned from the tale of the three brothers, the Deathly Hallows are three items that, in the story, were given to the brothers by death. 
It is believed that the three brothers from the tale are based off of the Peveril brothers, Antioch, Cadmus, and Ignotus, who lived in the 13th century. Dumbledore actually theorized that the death story could have just been the type of myth that pops up around very powerful objects, and that it was also a possibility that the three Peveril brothers were just very powerful wizards who created the items themselves. The three items are the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the Cloak of Invisibility, and are represented by a symbol depicting a vertical line through a circle enclosed in a triangle. The Elder Wand is the most legendary of the Three Hallows. The first time it is mentioned in the series is by Xenophilius Lovegood in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. According to Lovegood, the Elder Wand is the most powerful wand in existence. It has the most traceable history, which is long and bloody, as it was repeatedly seized by power-hungry wizards who often kill the previous owners to take the wand for themselves. It is a misconception that the previous owner has to be killed, as we know of at least four incidents that it passed without murder. The Elder Wand is associated with the oldest Peveril brother, Antioch, who was murdered when another wizard heard him boast of it and decided to take it from him. The path of the wand throughout history does have many gaps, but always tends to pop back up, sometimes under different names, such as the Death Stick or the Wand of Destiny. In reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, we learned that the wand eventually ended up with Gregorovich, the wand maker, where it was then stolen by Gellert Grindelwald, who did not kill Gregorovich to take it. Dumbledore then won the wand from Grindelwald during their famous duel in 1945, where he also did not murder the owner to earn its allegiance. The allegiance of the wand then passed to Draco Malfoy, who never even realized it. This was also only by disarming and not by killing. Harry then won the allegiance of the Elder Wand when he overpowered Malfoy at the Malfoy Manor. The Elder Wand is drawn to power, and according to the Wizarding World site, that also has a lot to do with emotion. Despite the allegiance belonging to Draco, then Harry, the wand ended up in Voldemort's possession. Voldemort thought the previous owner needed to be killed and assumed that Snape was the owner, since he had been the one to kill Dumbledore. He unnecessarily killed Snape, and then, thinking he had the wand's allegiance, tried to use it to kill its true owner, Harry. This backfired, costing Voldemort his life and leaving the wand in Harry's possession. The Resurrection Stone does have the power to bring loved ones back, but it isn't how they really were before, since as we know from Dumbledore, no spell can reawaken the dead. It is associated with the middle Peveril brother, Cadmus, who uses it to try to bring back the girl he intended to marry before she died. But since she wasn't really back, it just drove him to kill himself instead. The history of this stone is nowhere near as traceable as the Elder Wand, but we do know that it somehow ended up in a ring that was passed down through generations and eventually ended up in the possession of Marvolo Gaunt, who used it as evidence of his pureblood status and connection to the Peveril family, calling the symbol scratched on it the Peveril Coat of Arms, though we learn it's actually the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. The ring passes down to Marvolo's son, Morfin, and is then taken from him by his nephew, Tom Riddle, a.k.a. Lord Voldemort. It doesn't seem that any of them have any idea of what the stone actually is, especially Voldemort, as he turns it into one of his horcruxes. Dumbledore later finds the ring, knowing what the stone is, and attempts to use it to see his deceased family again. But, because of the curses Voldemort placed on the horcrux, it just ended up cursing Dumbledore instead. Snape traps the curse in Dumbledore's hand to buy him time, 
and Dumbledore conceals the ring in the snitch Harry caught in his first ever Quidditch match, and leaves it to him in his will. Harry is able to figure that out and uses the Resurrection Stone, no longer a Horcrux or Cursed, to see his parents, Sirius and Lupin again, before sacrificing himself. He ends up dropping the stone in the Forbidden Forest and intends to leave it lost. The Cloak of Invisibility actually got the earliest introduction of all of the Hallows, though we didn't know that's what it was at the time. Harry receives it as an anonymous Christmas gift during his first year at Hogwarts, with a note saying it belonged to his father. We later learned that it was Dumbledore who had borrowed it from James to inspect it because he realized it was one of the Hallows. It was still in his possession after James died, and he passed it down to Harry, who was the rightful owner. The cloak is associated with the youngest Peveril brother, Ignotus, whose headstone we see in the same graveyard where Harry's parents are buried. The Deathly Hallows symbol was carved into it, and is how Hermione was able to connect the Peverils to the Hallows. Harry is a descendant of Ignotus, and the cloak passed down each generation until it belonged to Harry. While there are mentions of other invisibility cloaks throughout the series, such as cloaks woven from Demiguy's hair or charmed to be invisible, the magic of those cloaks will eventually fade. But the cloak of invisibility renders the wearer truly invisible, with a power that would never fade. It isn't completely infallible because it is only resistant to magic used on the cloak, not on the wearer. So if a person knows they are there under the cloak, they can still cast a spell on the wearer, like how Draco Malfoy was able to cast Petrificus Totalis on Harry on the train. Before we go into Max's theories, I think it's important to note that, according to the series, by the time Harry went to face his death in the Forbidden Forest, he was the owner of all three Hallows, which would make him the true master of death. I know Max has some ideas about this, so we're going to have him tell us all about his theories. So, my theories on the Deathly Hallows are mostly looking at their timeline through Potter history, from where they started to where they are now. Me and Ellen have already discussed a little bit of this because I was convinced that the four Hogwarts founders came after the three brothers, but I'm still unsure on that. My first theory is about what happened to the Hallows immediately after two of the brothers were killed. So, after the first brother who... So, after Antioch, who lost the wand, and after Cadmus, who killed himself. Right. So, this was a, a thought that I had really quite early on when I was reading it. I didn't understand what happened immediately afterwards because I don't know if, it, if it's different anywhere else but here if if my two brothers were in the same city as me not that I have brothers but if I had two brothers and they were in the same city as me and they both died it would be normal in my head for the things that they had with them to be going with me when I left if you understand what I mean yeah so in my head even though, obviously, the wand is gone, it's been taken, but the stone itself would likely have gone to Ignotus, who had sure, out the yeah. cloak. And this is why I don't quite get this whole descendancy thing, in that mm-hmm. the Gaunts think that they're descended from Cadmus, who had the stone in the first place, whilst the Potters are descended from Ignotus, because surely Ignotus would have gotten the stone. And there's a lot of material that says that Cadmus must have had a son before he died. Right, that's the only way that that would have been possible. It's the only way that it would have been possible, but he wasn't married, and it never mentions a son, and he kills himself pretty quickly after getting the stone. Right. So... it. I mean, it does seem like it's entirely possible that... Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's obviously not the proper way it would have been done, but the woman that he was supposed to marry, I think I read a theory somewhere that she actually died in childbirth. Yeah. Mm, okay. And so that the, the kid survived and she didn't. That, that would make it more likely. Right. In which case, I mean, then you would think that Ignotus would have inherited the stone and the kid. In which case, I would think that someone like Ignotus would then continue to pass that stone down with Cadmus's child, if there was a child. So that, to me, would make the most sense, but it, we definitely weren't given that information. Is this classic thing that you get with Harry Potter is that there isn't enough information for you to know definitively what happened, but that's why we have theories. So. Well, yeah, Katie and I have talked about that before, how we like how that leaves things more open-ended so people can fill in the blanks themselves because it spawns a lot more yeah. interesting fan theories. Yeah, if you know everything right away, there's nothing to really think about. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we knew it. It would just be like, okay, this, this is how it goes. This is it. I love the different points of view that you can get from people. I think following the, the timeline of the Elder Wand, which is something I tried to do about a year ago and see if I could find out anything at all about the history of it, which is really difficult when you're, when you're delving into the history of something within, within a universe where people in that universe haven't been able to track the history themselves, which was an interesting challenge. <laughs> but it was really interesting to see like what what extra writing there is about it because JK does sometimes put stuff in <laughs> yeah, and uh, goes on Twitter or something and when she isn't saying bad things says something relatively useful. Right. Yeah, I mean the Wizarding World website that used to be Pottermore has a ton of articles that she's written that fill in some of the blanks. Yeah. But even, like, I was reading the article about the Elder Wand, and even that article states that there are blanks in time. Mm -hmm. That I mentioned in my section of this episode is that there were times where it just disappeared, but it would always pop back up because a lot of times it was, there was a pretty violent history attached to it, and that didn't go unnoticed by the people who recorded it. I think my first thought was that whenever there was someone famous mentioned that did something particularly yeah. amazing. And that would most likely have something to do with at least one of the Hallows, probably the Elder Wand. Which is why I, th I thought perhaps that one of the founders might have had the Elder Wand at one time. And I know a lot of people think that I I'm sort of going off it now because neither of them were necessarily better than, than any of the other. So it would be unlikely that it was one of them that had it but that was just something i was thinking about ages ago yeah they were all pretty equally footed mm. the four founders mm -hmm. yeah they all had their strengths oh yeah well their strengths probably were born out of their values you do tend to cultivate a greater ability when it's something that matters to you which is what made the houses what they are obviously i heard this idea that they were bringing not just different values to the table yeah. but different actual things that they could contribute to the school to the table so well, yeah. obviously going through the history of it rona Wa Ra rona ravenclaw rona ravenclaw <laughs> was quite wealthy at the time and hufflepuff was quite knowledgeable in certain things 
like herbology and stuff like that. And then you've got Gryffindor <laughs> in Slytherin, who I feel like Gryffindor was there to be a mm-hmm. de facto leader, and Slytherin was just there to, I don't know. I wouldn't have included Slytherin at the time. <laughs> I'm glad he was. Well, I honestly, considering how Slytherin could be, I think that he and Gryffindor were probably very similar to one another. Mm. You don't necessarily always put the brave one as the leader. Yeah. No. Sometimes the brave one is just the soldier. And honestly, I think Harry was a bit more of a soldier. He just did what Dumbledore told him to do. Mm-hmm. Well, this so is the thing. I, there's a really good chance that Slytherin was the leader of the group. I would have loved that. Yeah. And yeah, if so he cool. started doing things that the other three didn't agree with, they would have had to overthrow him. Yeah. But that's, that's that's how it seems to me. That's a good theory. I like that one. They're like, oh, dude, we can't follow you anymore. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I never really thought about it that way. before. I always thought of the founders as like the Pevensey children in uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Peter was the leader, quote unquote. And he was kind of like Gryffindor. And then Edmund was the Slytherin because he was a little... Ambitious. Mm, You didn't quite know about him. Ambitious. He had a good heart on him, but he got in the way of himself. I mean, he was ambitious in the sense that he he did what he had to do to get his candy. Yeah, but he got in his own way a lot, you know? Yes. And then Susan was the oldest girl. Ravenclaw? She was like Ravenclaw. She was the smarter one. And then Lucy was the Hufflepuff, essentially. But when you think about it like that, you think about the dichotomy that Edmund and Peter had. They were always kind of fighting each other for the top Mm -hmm. spot. But really, it always ended up being Peter. He was older. Because he was the oldest, because there was a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of factors, yeah. It's brilliant. I think you see that, I think you see that a lot in sort of 20th century children's literature in Britain. So we've got another book called The Famous Five. It's misleading because it's the famous five, but actually the fifth one is a dog. <laughs> so the first... Dogs can be famous. Dogs are famous. Rin Tin Tin, <laughs> Scooby-Doo, Lassie, Old Yeller. I'm running These out four. of famous dogs. The moment the podcast took a really weird turn. <laughs> Cujo. <laughs> Cujo. <laughs> Infamous. He's a really famous dog. He was the Slytherin, obviously. So in Famous Five, you've got the four main children characters, which is Julian, Dick, <laughs> Anne, and George. But George is actually Georgina and is a tomboy. It's really nice. I'd suggest reading it if you're into Harry Potter because they do adventures and stuff. It's a book by Enid Blyton. And she does this whole sort of thing where they all bring something different to the party. It's, it's the whole... 20th century, different people, different personalities, different things to bring to the table thing. And so you've got Julian, who is the leader, Gryffindor. Dick is his brother, who's into, like, fixing things. And so, so he's sort of the Ravenclaw. Anne mm-hmm. is definitely the Hufflepuff, because she's just there to have a good time <laughs> and ride horses. And then Georgina is the Slytherin, who is ambitious and wants people not to just see her as a girl and wants to do everything that the boys can do it's really actually quite progressive for a 50s book and the dog is there (laughs) as a sort of binding tool for all of them you can see the dog as hogwarts if you like (laughs) (laughs) it also kind of makes me think of the boxcar children it's another one that you could probably sort if you wanted but let's get back to the deathly hallows oh yes we've gone a bit off track haven't we (laughs) Um, (laughs) what we don't do that ever (laughs) so this is the next theory 
This theory is to do with the importance of prophecy in the Harry Potter universe, especially when it's regarding Harry and Tom Riddle. Harry and Tom are both descended from the three brothers, which in itself is interesting because of how important the Hallows turn out to be in the battle between them. Now, Tom Riddle is also descended in some way from Saladar Slytherin. It's not mentioned very much in the book, so this is just a mini theory within a theory, but I believed that both Harry and Tom Riddle are direct descendants of Slytherin, and that their battle against each other was actually predetermined by Slytherin. So you're thinking that Slytherin could have been the sort of mastermind. maybe involved in that prophecy in some way too? Well, I, I assume that... Hmm. We assume that the first prophecy that we hear is Sybil Trelawney. From Trelawney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we assume yeah. that that's the first time that it's ever been discussed. But it's like, it's a huge thing. It's a huge war. And and I, I would think it would be odd that it hadn't been prophesized before. Because we see this in... There's, there's millions of prophecies in the Department of Mystery, so there must be some that are from hundreds of years ago. Yeah, there very well could sure. have been a prophecy about... Slytherin's heir becoming the greatest dark wizard and you'd think that that would be even yeah 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 so interesting thought yeah yeah so this is just my little theory in my head about how Slytherin could have been this exceptionally gifted wizard who orchestrated a sort of blood purity contest so far down the line that you know it would be very definitive I was just going to mention that uh, I actually sent a document to you two. I don't know if you read all of it. It was extremely long. I did. You read it? <laughs> I feel so I sorry did. for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, ridiculous. I should have been doing university work, and I decided I'm going to write this 1,500-word timeline of the Harry Potter universe instead. That sounds like an excellent use of your time. I don't know what you're talking I about. I mean, it felt like an excellent use. It still feels like an excellent use until... <laughs> until I lose my job. <laughs> but in it, I alluded to Slytherin being related to the Peverells and how I thought that both the Resurrection Stone and the Invisibility Cloak would have at some point been in, in Slytherin's possession and that that would be how he could have started this sort of family feud just between two of his offspring right. in some way, which okay. I thought would be quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting theory. This is what we were talking about earlier over Facebook, because from what I could find, Hogwarts was founded in around 990, and then the first Peverells we know of lived in the 1200s. Mm -hmm. So, And those were the three brothers, which isn't to say that they were actually the first three. Like That's a pretty long time ago, and history assumes that they were the three brothers who created these items or got them from death but it seems entirely possible yeah. that maybe it was passed down to them from other family members there is no actual history on it no and that's the that's the brilliant thing because we can speculate to this level as to how important the hallows might be in the entire history of the universe i say the universe the harry potter universe not the actual right universe. the wizarding world <laughs> I do, I do enjoy the idea that the Hallows are, are this immensely powerful and important thing, especially because, I don't know, a lot of people don't believe like the story is true because obviously Dumbledore says it's more likely they were just three very gifted wizards. But I think it's, it's totally true. It's so something that could have happened in a more, I don't know, medieval age 
where there would have been more dragons and more magic and more just general stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. I feel like once you get into... When you're talking about, okay, Hogwarts was founded in 990, and then the first Peverils we know of lived in the 1200s. Like, if you were taking it in today's terms, if you were like, okay, Hogwarts was founded in 1990, and the first Peverils we know of were in 2200. That seems so far apart, but when you're talking about it in the past, it seems like nothing. That doesn't seem like any length of time. But if we put it in the context of when we're living, it seems like forever. Right. History, I kind of feel like a lot of it's a game of telephone. It can get very confused and confuddled throughout the years because things get lost, documents get lost, records get lost, things like that, you know? Or only one side gets told. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility entirely at all that Slytherin could have, at one point, had control of at least two of the hollows. And who knows, maybe he was on his own quest to find the wand at one point. Who the hell knows? Maybe that's how he was going to get his school back. Yeah, like, you know, I mean... The thought that I had just now was... What if the three brothers from the tale did not meet death on the bridge? What if they met Slytherin? Oh. Hmm. Very interesting thought. I'd love that. That'd be such a good... Imagine that television moment. <laughs> You're watching the new Harry Potter series 2025. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> Slytherin on the bridge. Love it. I like that. That's a very interesting thought. I like that a lot. Because you don't know what happens to Slytherin. I mean, yeah, because... He just kind of, you know, slinks away into the night, essentially. But there had to have mm -hmm. been so much more to it. Yeah, he know? didn't so just... I wonder right. where he went after that. Mm. It's very interesting. I know there were also theories that Harry was the descendant of Gryffindor, and Voldemort was the descendant of Slytherin, and it would be kind of interesting if Gryffindor and Slytherin were actually related in some way, and it was more of a family feud Considering how far back the timeline goes for that, they very well could have somehow been related. Mm -hmm. It's not like there was a ton of magical families back then. Yeah. But I like the idea of Harry being descended from Gryffindor, considering that he lived in Godric's Hollow. Yeah. I mean, that's and he what was I able was... to pull yeah. the sword of Gryffindor out of the hat. That's what I always thought about with that. I, I don't it think It always that's... just seemed kind of the obvious. Maybe it was just too obvious. She didn't want to play it that way. Yeah, it, I mean, it would definitely be a parallel to the original battle, or not, I don't know if it was really a battle, but the original quarrel between Gryffindor and Slytherin. It does seem like Slytherin. It, it could be a real thing. Yeah. Because especially considering how much like Gryffindor James is portrayed to be, and it's, and it's a really, mm -hmm. it's so easy to comprehend that Harry would be descended from Gryffindor because he does embody a lot of those values. But at the same time, he is an extremely delicate person and he's an even more delicate child and i feel like he's a delicate flower he is and he is <laughs> we actually don't really know that much about gryffindor's bloodline no, really too not no not at all i mean the peverils died out in the male line mm -hmm. so maybe gryffindor did as well yeah who knows this is something i really want to know about interesting thought but I do think that's an interesting idea to think that there could be something bigger related to the prophecies that set all of this in motion going all the way back to Slytherin. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, yeah. 
Well, we know that there's another prophecy about Voldemort and Harry, and it's the one made by Sybil Trelawney to Albus Dumbledore. And that's what prompts Dumbledore to start thinking big about the whole thing. So because of this, Dumbledore eventually goes looking for Horcruxes made by Voldemort to keep himself alive. And that's how we come to the next theory, which is that Harry had to become the master of death before meeting Voldemort in the Dark Forest. And Dumbledore saw to that. That's the theory. (laughs) I don't know that he necessarily had to. Because even in the book, Dumbledore specifically told Harry that he was the true master of death because he was able to face it. And it had less to do with actually finding and uniting the objects. And it also ultimately, it played part of a role in what protected him and allowed him to win in the end. But it really was just a part of it. Well, I've never quite understood. It gets very complicated in that area of the book where Harry is dead and he become, and he comes back. And I never understood why JK decided to make it that complicated when she had a perfect sort of out with she could just put it down to Harry being master of death from the Hallows. But she alludes into this theory that, that Lily's protected charm was still existing because of the link between Harry and Voldemort because of Harry's blood, which I thought was actually extremely complicated I mean, maybe it had to be a perfect storm of all of these different elements. That's Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Because I think that it doubled and even tripled the connection between them. Because first you had the fact that they had the same wand core from the same phoenix. Mm -hmm. And then you had that Voldemort took Harry's blood, which kept that charm from Lily's blood alive. And then you had the fact that he was trying to use the Elder Wand that gave allegiance to Harry against Harry. Yeah. So it was, they had this connection three times, and that's what ultimately ended up screwing Voldemort. He just fucked with magic that he didn't understand fully mm-hmm. so badly, he screwed himself. That's what I always tell people whenever this comes up. They'll be like, Harry killed Voldemort. I was like, technically he didn't. Yeah. Voldemort full-on killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what ended up making it kind of believable to me because there were a lot of special things about Harry. But to be able to take down the most evil and powerful dark wizard that the wizarding world had ever seen is pretty unbelievable for a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. But... The way that it all happened, like you said, Katie, the perfect storm. Yeah. It really kind of brought it all together in a way that was complicated enough to be believable for me. Mm-hmm. It had to all be this way. Like, one of the elements couldn't have been missing. Kind of like, you know, the Deathly Hollows. You can't be the master of death and not have the cloak. You can't have, you can't be missing the wand. Right. You can't be missing the stone. You have to have them all to be the master of death, essentially. So, in this same way, Harry had to have... He had to have the hollows, but he also had to have the protection from Lily. And there also had to be the original wand core. There were, like, all of these things had to kind of happen. Actually, there was more connections than that, because you also had Voldemort's soul within Harry. Like, some of Voldemort's yeah. own power was within Harry. So there were actually yeah. four connections. Yeah, Like, exactly. he just fucked himself really good. Yeah, such a and he didn't even know it. Yeah. That was the killer. It's a whole cocktail of fucked up. I'm not even sure. I like I'm I've never even been convinced that the Hallows played that much of a role in it to begin with. 
I feel like there was more, like, separately, they all benefited him in different ways, but truly connected, it didn't really mean that much in the end. Because that was one of the things that Dumbledore was saying, too, about how Harry sees them all in the right way. Like, he, well, he had every right to the cloak because it was passed down to him. Yeah. And with the resurrection stone, he used it to strengthen himself. Like, like the way that they worded it in the book, I think, was that he wasn't fetching them. They were fetching him. So he used it as a way to strengthen himself so he could walk to what he thought was going to be his own death. And then with the Elder Wand, he never even actually used it except to repair his own wand. Yeah. So, like, they didn't even actually play that much of a role in his full-on win. They were more like tools that helped him along the way. Well, I think it depends how how you look at them actually affecting it. Like, could Harry... Could this entire thing have actually happened without Harry having one of the Hallows in the, in the first place because Harry depends on the invisibility cloak to get him to a point in the Goblet of Fire where he then ends up sharing his blood with Voldemort which, which is what leads to that later confrontation ending the way it did with Harry being able to survive. Yeah, I think it was a part of the whole. Mm-hmm. I think he needed them, but I don't think he ever truly connected them. Because technically, he lost the Resurrection Stone before, before he, he was... ever truly yeah. possessed the Elder Wand. It gave him his allegiance, but he'd never even touched it. Yeah, but the other thing with the Resurrection Stone is that actually it is damaged quite extensively by Dumbledore before Harry even comes into its possession. And we see that it doesn't... It's, it's a bit different to how it, it presents in the story of how she was there, but she didn't belong there, Cadmus's um, uh, lover, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But when Harry summons his family and... Who, who's there? Is it Sirius Lupin? Sirius Lupin. And his mother and father. Mother and, and his father. mother and father. Yeah. But he can't touch them at all. They're, they're actually not there, and only he can see them. Yeah. So I thought, I saw, I thought that meant that the stone had been damaged. That's one possibility. I always just assumed that's how Cadmus's lover appeared to him as well. Oh, that'd be way worse than her just not being there, though. Like, and and I think that would that would probably definitely drive him crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be that'd drive me up a wall. Devastating, mm-hmm. especially with the expectation that oh she's coming back, she's coming back, she's coming back, and then the reality of right oh she's back, but she's not back at all. That would be devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And that with the stone, like, to destroy the Horcrux, its container has to be destroyed beyond repair. So there was no way to fix the stone once it was cracked like that. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't still work. Like, you could technically still write in that diary. I don't know why you'd want to, Mm -hmm. but you could. You could technically still wear that locket. This is the thing, though, with with the stone it's never discussed whether the stone was the Horcrux or if it was the ring. Because obviously Dumbledore hits the stone down the centre of where the representation of the wand is on the, the Peveril Crest. Mm-hmm. But it's the ring that gets destroyed. It, gets, it loses its housing. Yeah, I would assume it was the stone since the Gaunts were going around declaring it to be their connection to the Peverils. Mm. And like it would be the stone that had the coat of arms and that's why i mean he cracked it 
right down the line that represented the elder wand so i would think i would think it would be the stone or else he could have just like cut the band yeah again maybe it had to be both at once it had to be both pieces maybe yeah and the stone was no longer in the ring i think yeah no i thought he destroyed it when it was in the ring i mean it fit into the snitch so i thought the snitch just had just the stone in it not the ring part of it well when harry gets it it's just the stone in the snitch i like this idea though that the gaunts are such an intensely insane family with such a an obviously downtrodden bad luck history because they've had this thing in their possession and it would match up that occasionally people went insane because they accidentally summoned someone back from the dead (laughs) i like that idea because no one knows what it is Voldemort definitely doesn't know what right. it is. Right, true. I wonder if it, I mean, is it just turning it or do you have to turn it with that intention? I thought you would have to turn it three times in hand and then it would just happen because that's sort of how it's, it's made up in the story. Well, but he's, I mean, he specifically was planning on bringing her back though. So mm. in his heart, that's what he would be thinking of. So there would be that intention there. And how many people could they bring back? Because I'd be bringing back everyone because I fidget with stuff. So I'd be turning it in my hand, not even knowing (laughs) all of a sudden. Katie's house is just haunted. Yeah. (laughs) My house would be just filled with my old dead relatives and stuff. (laughs) Well, that's another thing. I don't know if you get to choose who you bring back either. Because when Harry's in the forest and Lupin and Sirius and Lily and James come back, I thought a a million people (laughs) would have would have appeared around Harry of the people he would have wanted advice from in that moment. Yeah. I don't know that he needed advice. I think he just needed to see the people he thought he was joining that he never got to really see in life and spend as much time with as he should have. Mm -hmm. I think he may have expected to see his parents, but I kind of think Lupin and Sirius may have been a surprise to him a little bit. I don't think they were a surprise because I think he wanted to apologize to them. Well... You know, Harry, He's everything's his fault. He takes the blame for everything. Oh, yeah. And you know he blamed himself for both of their deaths. Well, yeah. I, I'm sure there was probably some way that he blamed himself for his parents' deaths since Voldemort was coming after oh, him then. Even I blame Harry for their deaths. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the Dursleys saw to it that Harry blamed himself for his parents' deaths somehow. Oh, yeah. That's, you know. Well, they shouldn't have let the baby drive the car. It's probably Honestly. why they had the car crash. Honestly. You know, I do like when Petunia says, you lost a mother, I lost a sister. And I think that's a really big look into how she would have hated Harry a lot. Because she would have known what happened. Yeah, that scene humanized Petunia a lot more because it didn't happen in the book. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing it for the first time and just yeah. getting the chills. I feel like it, it could have happened in the book. I, I, I think that as the story got more intense... And the readers were maturing with the books. I thought that J.K. was going to try and sort of make the bad characters we see more complex, which is what we see with Snape, and even what we see with Voldemort. But the Dursleys are just bad throughout, apart from Dudley. Well, I just I just said this in our most recent episode, and the one that we're posting this week, that they're caricatures. Like, their only purpose to the story is for us to dislike them because they're awful to Harry. And they never really deserved that redeeming side. Dudley maybe a little bit because he was just a product of his environment. But I think there was that very brief moment 
where Harry and Petunia were left alone when she was trying to pull herself together after bursting into tears in the book because Dudley basically said thank you to Harry, even though it wasn't a thank you. Mm-hmm. And so he goes outside and it's just Harry and Petunia left in the sitting room. And she gets herself together and realizes that it's just the two of them and she almost wants to say something to him, but then doesn't. And I think that was the moment where she would have made that comment to him. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave it to her in the movie. I'm sure she was thinking it. It feels like it's coming, but she's probably very traumatized about the entire thing. But obviously it's not really discussed because... Yeah. Well, I mean, she probably also felt like she lost her sister the moment she got that Hogwarts letter. Mm. Well, because it goes into how she wanted to go as well. Yeah. Yeah. And was prejudiced because of her lack of that talent. Of her jealousy. She was jealous. She was jealous. She was just jealous. And then she married a bigot. So I think Vernon's the one who made it worse. Vernon's definitely bad. Like, Vernon has no redeeming times. No, he is, he is a bag of assholes. He's clearly a man that has to have control over every aspect of his life and freaks out if he doesn't. Yeah. And that's about as real as he gets. That That is his motivation. Beyond that, he's not very well developed. He's full of this toxic, testosterone-fueled manliness yeah. <laughs> where right. he's in charge of the situation. You know, he owns a drill company. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's very materialistic and insistent on everything he does. When we were doing English in secondary school, high school, we would talk about how we thought that the Dursleys were the sort of people who kept plastic on their furniture. Oh, yeah. Which now sounds quite mean, but they definitely were the sort of people def- who kept oh, plastic on totally their furniture. Oh, they totally were. They totally were. You can't use the nice china. Can't use the nice china at all. <laughs> I can see them having like those carpet runners, those plastic carpet runners that just, but just all over the place. <laughs> or like having the carpet runners in certain spot in certain spaces, and that's the only spot that Harry was allowed to walk in. I can totally <laughs> see that being a thing. <laughs> the only thing I'm missing is this ridiculously posh dog. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm surprised they don't have a, a Well, Petunia hates dog. animals, so there's that. Petunia hates animals. Yeah. They're messy. They are messy. But I could see, like, a Labrador. Like, a really fat, useless Labrador. <laughs> I could see, like, a little yapper. Like, a little... But that's what I love. I... Like, a little yappy dog. I don't know. I almost imagine there being a hairless cat. Oh, they definitely have a hairless cat. <laughs> Oh, and it'd live on one of those cushions and just be in the corner all the time staring at Harry. <laughs> Judging you silently. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> this is our cat. He judges you when we don't. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is there ever a moment where you don't? Well, if they're sleeping, the cat stays awake and judges everyone. Oh, you know they dream about judging Harry. Well, they probably do, sure. But they're... I judge Harry enough, to be honest. <laughs> I do feel bad for him, but whenever the Dursleys aren't judging him, I'm judging him. Most of the notes that I make in my book are about how annoying he is. <laughs> I mean, he he's a teenage boy. So. Yeah. He is, and you need to keep reminding yourself that with most of the characters yes. of their teenagers. I actually, written. the first time I read Order of the Phoenix, I was so annoyed with Harry, I thought I didn't like the book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because the thing, Harry is awful in Order Order of the Phoenix, but at the same time, he's 15 in Order of the Phoenix. I just remember having gigantic conversations about Caps Lock Harry. (laughs) Well, he's 15. He just witnessed a peer die. And Voldemort has a body now, which makes him stronger and probably also strengthened the bit of his soul within Harry that was probably also messing with emotions. I, I give him a pass now. I can read it without getting annoyed at him, mostly. Whenever he gets annoyed about something, it almost feels like he gets annoyed in a teenage way where he sees how it affects him and doesn't look into why people do a certain thing, which is totally, totally normal. Oh, right. No, I just think that those other aspects are just amplifying his teenagerness. Definitely. Mm-hmm. My favorite one is in Order of the Phoenix, and Hermione and Ron haven't been writing to him. And because I was young when I, <laughs> when I first read them, I got a bit confused on the timeline, and I thought that Ron and Hermione had started seeing each other at that point, because I got a bit confused on the timeline. So I was like, what are you on about, Harry? Uh-huh. <laughs> They're having their own time. It's date night. Leave them alone. But, <laughs> I mean, I love that. Because <laughs> <laughs> Harry has a tough time. I think Harry actually has a tough time with everybody, especially girls. He isn't helped by his situation with Cho or Ginny or even Hermione in that dancey bit. Yeah. Just to allude to a completely random point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. growing up the way that he did, social skills probably oh, were no, not his not. strongest suit. Imagine Vernon being your father figure. So. Or lack thereof, oh. because he was awful. Yeah. Like, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a figure. Well, I never understood this. Like, I thought there would have been more talked about with how Harry was at school and whether or not he was actually... I mean, it, it's, I think it says that he's... He's average intelligence in the first book. I think it says something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's not talked about. Like, I thought we'd be hearing about his teachers and what subjects he liked and stuff like that. But it doesn't get into that, which is interesting to me. I think that's because, like, there was this distance between what school was like in the magic world and what school was like in in the real world. Yeah, I don't think that, since the story wasn't about the muggle world, I think there just wasn't any focus on... Harry's life there because he was about to predominantly leave it. I also think he was the kind of kid that just 100% slipped through the cracks. Yeah, we all had that sort of... Mm -hmm. We know someone like that from our school days. And Harry is very much this sort of not trying to be the center of attention and trying to just be like everyone else, which is the main point that gets explored in Goblet of Fire. And he even, like, at the end... Of the entire thing, he breaks the Elder Wand. He only breaks it in the movie. He doesn't actually break it in the book. Doesn't he? Mm-mm. No, he decides he's going to put it back in Yes, of Dumbledore's course he does. Tomb. I even wrote that down. <laughs> but I honestly kind of like that he broke it. I've heard that a lot of people don't, but I kind of like that he does. I think that would end the power of it. I just wish that they had had, because in the book, he fixes his own wand so he can keep using that, and then he tells the portrait of Dumbledore that he's going to put it back where it came from, which was Dumbledore's tomb, mm-hmm. and leave it there. If he dies a natural death, the power's dead. That's a big risk, though. But <laughs> but considering yeah. that the wand was able to give its allegiance to Harry before Harry even ever laid his hands on it, exactly. it seems like if somebody decides to get a hold of the wand and gets it back out in circulation, it would eventually find power that it would want to allegiance itself to. Definitely. Yeah. So I like the fact that he destroyed it. I just wish they'd had him repair his own wand first. Yeah, that would have made sense. But I don't even understand, like, that Harry goes into 
the most likely job and scenario where he is going to get disarmed. And when we're meant to think that he's not going to get disarmed because he's Harry, but actually it's likely that at some point someone's going to disarm him. I mean, even Malfoy got the drop on Dumbledore. Yeah. Well, we can discuss whether or not that was intentional or not, but exactly. I think it was intentional. I think Malfoy was trying to disarm Dumbledore. And I think that there wasn't much Dumbledore could do about it because he was so weakened from that potion. Yeah, that too. But had Dumbledore let Malfoy disarm him, the allegiance probably wouldn't have passed. It's so strange. It's such a complicated idea. And even like it goes into that in Deathly Hallows when it talks about how one loyalty is just they do their own thing entirely, which I love because it makes the right. it gives this idea. The wand that, chooses the wizard exactly, and it goes right back to the beginning. And I love that this idea that wands are very intelligent on their own, which is weird because you don't. It's like imagine if your gun could think for itself. <laughs> <laughs> We'd probably have less accidents. It would probably yeah. have less accidents <laughs> and robot uprisings. If the gun was just like, nope, sorry, you're walking into a school. I'm not letting you do a goddamn thing. <laughs> That'd be good if guns knew where they were and could stop themselves working. Right. Yeah, as long as you didn't have an asshole gun. It was like, shit, let's go kill some stuff. <laughs> the elder gun. Yeah. <laughs> The one that wants to win all the time. <laughs> the Elder Glock. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what were you saying about once the battle is done? Oh, I was, I was going to say. Does that change um, it now that you remember? It changes it a bit, but I was, I'm still going to say it. <laughs> I was going to say that Harry gives up the Elder Wand in, in the book. He breaks it in the film. And since the Resurrection Stone is gone, even though I think maybe Narcissa Malfoy might have picked it up. Harry only has his cloak. And so the effect of the Hallows is is ended, and Harry's not the master of death anymore. And I thought that would be a nice touch before you go on to what happens next in The Cursed Child, when Harry actually is technically killed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> twice. <laughs> I think I... Before, okay, we'll, we'll go in order. So you made the comment about the stone being gone and you thinking that Narcissa Malfoy may have taken it, which I think is a very interesting thought. I love the idea because it would mean that, well, the Malfoys collect things. It's entirely what they do. They have artifacts of dark magic. Right, and, yeah. And Harry drops the stone where he eventually gets hit. Well, I think he dropped it before then. I think In the book, at least. I thought in the book he let it slip through his fingers and then... Stepped out. Voldemort thinks he was mistaken that Harry wasn't coming, and Harry says, you weren't. The resurrection stone slipped from between his numb fingers, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw his parents, Sirius and Lupin, vanish as he stepped forward into the firelight. Okay. So he, he dropped it in the woods and stepped into the clearing. It was nearby. It was very close. But yeah. it wasn't right where he It would have been fell. difficult True. to find it. But I like the idea that it would have been picked up by somebody. Yeah. I mean, honestly, by itself, the Resurrection Stone is pretty useless. Because I know that for Dumbledore, it, it meant having his family back so that they could watch after his sister. He wanted his parent, his mom back so she could watch after his sister and he could go off and rule the Wizarding World with Grindelwald. Yeah. And for Grindelwald, he said for Grindelwald, it meant an army of Inferi. But I don't think it would have brought them back like that. 
I don't think that yeah. those spirits would have been useful as any kind of army yeah. at all. Well, it's an interesting idea. We only actually see the stone in power once, and it's after it could have been damaged. We don't see it work before that point. That's true, too. But at the same time, Harry is not in a great place there, and he is sort of... He's not ambushed by the Resurrection Stone. He knows that something is in Snitch. Does he know it's the Resurrection Stone before that point? He theorizes correctly. Even though Ron and Hermione were like, no, you're absolutely crazy. Gee, they've never done that before. Hermione was also like (laughs) adamant that there was no Resurrection Stone. But at that point, Harry's only experience with the Resurrection Stone is is what he hears in, in the Tale of Three Brothers, that it doesn't work properly. Right. It it calls, I mean, they say that she is cold and sad and separate as if behind a veil in the story. So I always took that to mean that it was that more memory, like the way that he saw Cedric and his parents when his wand first Mm -hmm. connected with Voldemort's in the graveyard. They appeared solid, but they were gray, like they weren't alive still. It was, it's still clear they're not. ultimately there but they're kind of there so i don't know how that would have really been useful as any kind of army especially if you have to hold on to the stone to keep them present yeah i gotta say i feel like the stone is the most useless of the of the hollows yeah it's a strange idea that that the stone would have been the power but it does make sense that if narcissa were to pick it up because the malfoys do collect things they wouldn't necessarily have it to use it. They would just have it because it's a valuable item. Mm-hmm. So. They wanted it, exactly. It's like when they have that time turner in, in Cursed Child. Right. They're not planning to use it. They just have it. Yeah. Along with several other things that they have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some there's some plot holes there, but ultimately, I think it, it's less plot holes and more that you could just tell it wasn't truly written by J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Like... Everything could be explained. Maybe not completely satisfactorily, but could be explained. And I know Katie's always on my case when I get caught up on a plot hole. She's like, in a book about magic, this is what you're getting hung up on. <laughs> That's the thing. You, you need to remember that it is a, ma- a sort of magical right. universe and things can happen that you don't understand. But at the same time, we have a lot of the history discussed in it. So you'd think that it would have been filled in or researched by someone like there's very little we don't know about the last two to three thousand years Mm -hmm. and in the wizarding world where things are a bit smaller and tight packed and in the spirit of community if you think about their history being magical and having to hide from muggles there may have been a lot more separation of different families and clans of witches and wizards that didn't get properly recorded because they were basically in hiding. True. Maybe. That's such an interesting idea. (laughs) And a lot of them started dying out and they had to start mating with muggles. Yeah, because it's a bad idea when cousins marry. That's interesting to me. I mean, look at what happened Mm -hmm. to the Gaunts. You know they were suffering from uncle brother syndrome. Or uncle daddy syndrome. Or daddy brother syndrome. I mean, weren't they all kind of cross-eyed? Like, Who? The Gaunts? Yeah. Marope, at least. I thought it was a joke about redneck communities. Which are often joked about being inbred also. 
Yeah, that's what I thought was going on because of how it's described that the house is run down near this affluent area where people laugh about them and want them gone. I thought it was talking about either redneck communities in, in America or talking about gypsy communities in the UK. Yeah. Because they're both joked about being really inbred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably has a parallel to that. Anything else you wanted to add about your theories, Max? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> the only th- it's, it's the bad thing about Harry Potter theories is that you can get too far into them. And then it just doesn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's half the fun sometimes. It's half the fun when you just realize it's all yeah. rubbish and you need to shut up. <laughs> I mean, we are theorizing about a fictional world. We're talking so. about uh, an almost religious movement, a fictional religious movement within a fictional world. <laughs> yeah, it's just... <laughs> but that doesn't make it any less fun to discuss. No, not at all. Why don't we just move on to our Potter pondering? That's what we do. <laughs> we want to ask our keepers if you have any theories about the Deathly Hallows that maybe formed while you were listening to this, or maybe you had them in your mind before. But find the post on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. And for this episode's trivia question, we'll have Max go ahead and read that. The question is what is the core of the Elder Wand? If you know the answer, head to our Facebook page at JKR Podcast and find the post. Comment under the post with the answer and the code word hashtag DeathStick. The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, then as a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. We are going to continue creating more Potterheads of History episodes, and you can become a patron to gain access to those future episodes, along with other perks. If you would like to support us as a patron for those perks, like Max, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. Any support you can give is, as always, greatly appreciated. And you can check out our website at justkeeprolling.com to see what our patrons have helped us create so far, and get yourself some swag and other Harry Potter-related merch. We have our equality lineup, and we'll be donating the proceeds to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We also started a fundraiser for each if you would like to just donate. You can find them on our Facebook page or head to our website. Again, that's justkeeprolling.com. And get yourself some cool merch and donate through us. So we just wanted to thank you again, Max, for this topic and your, what, 2,500-word essay that you sent us to kind of (laughs) prep us for this. We love having you on. We love getting to hear your accent. Mm-hmm. Resident Brit. It's excellent. Well, I love talking to you guys. I love talking to you guys so much. We love when you talk to us. And it's it's always great to talk about Harry Potter. Always. <laughs> but join us for the next episode coming out this Friday when we talk about Chapter 3, The Night Bus, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time. Just keep rolling.